So just before we we get into um, that passage from Mark, we just remind ourselves uh, what we covered last week. And uh, last week, uh, Sarah delved into the baptism and temptation of Jesus, which Mark described in verses 9 to 12. Um, and she concluded by calling us to live as God's beloved children. And this is the essence of the gospel, isn't it? If, if we live as God's beloved children, um, not having to do anything or prove anything to God, we just live as his beloved children. That's, that is the place, that, that is the source of life. And, and I think as we, as we get up, we start off like that in life, don't we? And, and, and then as we get older, we, we become more and more impacted with what other people think and, and what they have and what other people say about us. And we lose that sense of uh, childhoodness with God. <clears throat> and the wonderful news of the gospel is that when we are in Christ, what God said of Christ becomes true for us as well. You are my son or daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And I don't know about you, but when she asked us to imagine ourselves going into the water of baptism and coming up to hear God saying those words to us, I had a lump in my throat. Um, and I was reflecting on that, why, why I found that so moving. And I think at, at, at the core of our being, that's what we all long for, isn't it? To be told who we are. Uh, in other words, to be freely given our identity. It's not something we have to go looking for, like everyone thinks you have to today. Um, we uh, are told that we are dearly loved by the one who we belong to. Uh, someone who's very important and significant and there's no one more important and significant than God. And to be told that we have pleased that important person. So those three aspects um, are so important and that's what everyone's looking for today. But they are not looking to God by and large. Uh, they're tearing themselves apart trying to meet those core needs. And when God holds that out as a gift. Those three things, what our hearts are looking for. And so may God give each of us the grace to live as the beloved children of God, resting in Jesus, the perfect son. And uh, if you haven't listened to Sarah's talk from last week, I'd very much encourage you to. It's a, a wonderful, um, it captures the essence of the gospel in, in an amazing way. Okay, so um, today we're moving on to the next section in Mark's Gospel, uh, which is all about proving the authority of Jesus. And uh, we're going to see that just as we can live as the beloved children of God and embrace all of the peace and the joy and the blessing and contentment that that brings, uh, so we can live in the authority of Jesus as well and uh, rest in his power and might as we face the turbulence of what's happening in the world right now. The three aspects of Jesus' authority that we'll look at today are, firstly, Jesus' authority brings his dominion, um, his authority confronts evil, and his authority awakens hope. So that's the ground we're going to cover today. So firstly, Jesus' authority brings his dominion. And, but just uh, by way of background, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, uh, which Jesus chose as the centre of his public ministry in Galilee. 
after he left the small mountainous uh, village of Nazareth. And it's interesting uh, to note that Capernaum is in the region of Galilee. And in Isaiah verse 1 we read, In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee by, of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So that's a prophecy in Isaiah given hundreds of years before that Jesus fulfilled. Um, and so uh, Galilee now uh, is famous throughout the world and, and the honour um, because of uh, Jesus chose Capernaum as his base. So that's just uh, a little bit of background. Uh, so on the Sabbath, Mark tells us that Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people listening were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And the Living Bible says that Jesus uh, didn't try to prove who he was or uh, his previous points uh, by quoting others. And when I first um, read that, I was a bit deflated, actually, because that's what I do all the time, uh, <laughs> quote um, other people uh, to prove the points I'm trying to make. But on uh, reflection, uh, the Lord showed me that that was actually a good thing because Jesus is the only one with the authority not to have to quote anyone to prove his points. So if I don't, if I'm not doing that, if, if a preacher doesn't do that, then maybe they're getting the idea that um, they've got the authority um, that Jesus has. And I, I think that's on pretty dangerous ground. So um, I'll keep on quoting uh, other people uh, to prove my points. So clearly Jesus wasn't another, just another teacher. He had an authority that was different than anyone else they'd ever heard. So here's me quoting someone now. Uh, David McKenna writes, Jesus' authority, which astonished the people, differed from the authority of the scribes in kind, not by degree. In other words, it's a different kind of authority. It's not a, it's not a varying degree of the same authority. When he taught in the synagogue, he referred to no source of authority beyond himself. He is the source of authority. Without saying it, Jesus lays claim to be the Christ, the Son of God. No person on earth has ever had or ever will have the inherent authority of Jesus. So that's cool, isn't it? Um, Jesus implicitly claims to be the Messiah because he needs no other source of authority beyond himself. And that's why people responded um, to his teaching. Uh, because he wasn't, uh, it was so different from what anyone else had. And there's another interesting point here to note as well. <clears throat> Mark says that Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the message translation says he spent the day there teaching. So that's a whole lot of teaching uh, for a whole day. But nowhere does Mark tell us what he taught about. Uh, isn't that quite amazing when you think about it? Jesus taught for a whole day, but Mark doesn't cover any of what he, what he taught. We don't get told that. There's not even anything about how clever or knowledgeable he was uh, by what he taught. So clearly what's more important for Mark's purposes is to tell everyone about the deliverance that Jesus performs while he's at the synagogue, because that's the other main thing that's happened. So why would Mark want to major on that and not on what Jesus taught? Well, it turns out that the Greek word for authority here is exousia, which means power. And uh, in the earliest Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, the same word is translated as dominion. And that's a much bigger word than authority, isn't it? Dominion. 
that that's like a, a kingdom word. <clears throat> that's a sovereignty word. That's that's a rule, um, a ruling word. And on top of that, uh, exousia is related to the verb uh, excessi, which means it is free or it is permitted. In other words, exousia is the sovereign freedom of the one who acts without hindrance. The sovereign freedom of one who acts without hindrance. So what we've got here is someone who refers to no other source of authority beyond himself, who is acting in sovereign freedom, and who begins to establish his dominion or rule. Sounds like a lot like the arrival of a king to me, and that, of course, is exactly what Jesus is. He through whom all things were created has returned to his own world to begin the work of establishing his kingdom, his dominion, his rule on earth. The invasion of the kingdom of God has begun. It's an inbreaking of God's kingdom. And this is what, uh, what we're starting to read here in this passage from Mark. Now this new king and his dominion is not like the kings of earth, however. Jesus doesn't start by raising an army, which is what most other people do when they're trying to establish their kingdom. You think about it, all the generals of the age, previous ages, um, uh, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, all the kingdoms, the first thing they did was they had to raise an army because it was the army that gave them power. But this is different. Jesus is a different king. This is a different kingdom. This is the coming of a new kingdom, a peaceable dominion. It is not one that would crush or maim or oppress. It's something radically different. This new authority expresses itself through spiritual healing and later on, as uh, we have read, physical healing. So that's something quite different. It's a, it gives you some idea of how different these kingdoms are. But the scripture also tells us, and this is... Um, this is moving on to the second point. So that, that the first point was Jesus' authority um, commands dominion. The second point, Jesus' authority confronts demons. So the scripture also says that there's an enemy king and his legions who don't take kindly to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't take long before there's a big confrontation. And it comes at the moment that every preacher dreads Someone in the congregation cries out and makes a huge disturbance. And Mark says that a man who was possessed by an impure spirit cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And even though the scripture says an impure spirit, I, I initially I thought there's one spirit, but then the spirit itself uses the term us, meaning there's more than one demon inhabiting this man. <clears throat> now, remember what Mark's trying to do here. He's trying to establish who Jesus is. He's trying to uh, teach the Gentile converts in Rome, who he's writing to, who Jesus is. And, and, uh, and to do that, he's establishing his authority. And if you're looking for acknowledgement or proof that Jesus was the Son of God, you couldn't ask for anything more solid than demons screaming out who Jesus is. The demons scream that Jesus has the power to destroy them, and that's, I mean, that's incredible when you, when you think about it, just in and of itself. 
But then they also proclaim that he's the Holy One of God. And so uh, this uh, story, above all else, affirms Jesus' identity in a way that if, if anyone else tried to do that, it wouldn't have the same impact, would it? But here demons are proclaiming who Jesus is and the power that he has. It's quite incredible. And this is why Mark has got it in, in his story of um, Jesus. What a confession of the Christ. What a, what a telling point that Mark makes um, in, in this gospel when the demons cry out the truth of who Jesus is. <clears throat> but as I was, I was thinking about this, there's a whole lot of questions to do with this man that we don't get answers to here. And I was thinking, how did this man come to have an impure spirit? Was it his fault? Was he dabbling in some kind of sin? Or was he born with it? How, how, did, that, how did that all work? How, did, how, did it, how is he sitting there in church with an impure spirit and no one else reacts? <clears throat> did anyone else know up until this point that he was possessed? If so, how is it that he's sitting in the synagogue or church? And how can you sit in church and be possessed by an impure spirit at the same time? We don't get answers to any of those questions. But what we do know is that none of those questions stop Jesus from delivering this man. And isn't that cool? Jesus didn't stop and say, Ah, Bob, you've been a bit naughty there, have you? Uh, what have you been up to? Um, did you let that uh, evil spirit in, did you? Anything else you need to tell us? There, there's none of that. There's just with one command, Jesus delivers the man. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Imagine being that man after that deliverance. You're probably lying on the floor with everyone who's known you since you were a boy looking at you in stunned silence and shock. I'd imagine there would have been a kind of an awkward mixture of extreme embarrassment. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was there, or where did that come from? And, and a mixture of a huge relief. Wow, I'm free. I'm free. And then the awareness of what's just happened dawns on everyone, and they slowly turn to look at Jesus in awe. Who is this man? He not only teaches with, with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. So the authority and the dominion of Jesus came with a power never before seen in the world, against which demons tremble and obey. So the third point that we're looking at, so that was Jesus' authority confronts demons. The third point, Jesus' authority awakens hope. So there's a third reaction to Jesus' authority here in the story, and that's hope. Verse 28 says, News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Why? Why would they do that? Well, it was good news. A man was delivered from an evil spirit. And everyone likes a good story. So it'd be like, you never guess what happened in church today. <clears throat> but maybe there was people that knew um, someone had been, or people that had been battling uh, impure spirits or sickness for a long time. And maybe finally perhaps here was someone that could do something about it. And so for the first time they had hope. 
And so uh, news of him spread quickly throughout the region. And then as, as soon as they left the synagogue, Mark says that Jesus exercised his authority again when he went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew and healed Simon's mother-in-law from a fever. And as proof of the healing, she prepared some food and drink for them. And then that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases and also drove out many demons. So isn't it amazing to consider that the same authority and dominion that aggravates demons awakens hope in the helpless? The same authority and dominion that aggravates demons awakens hope in the helpless. So today in this uh, short passage from Mark, we've seen that Jesus began his ministry with an authority of a king establishing his dominion or his rule on earth. And his authority and dominion not only confronted demons, but awakened hope in the helpless who had no one left to turn to. And returning through the lens with which we're looking at each um, passage from Mark, we consider the same questions of who is Jesus? What did he do? What is his call to his people? Firstly, who is Jesus? The passage clearly teaches that Jesus is the Holy One of God. The demon said so. And that's one of the key points in this whole passage. Who is Jesus? He's the Holy One of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. That's his identity. Secondly, what did he do? He came as king to establish his dominion, to confront demons, and to awaken hope. Thirdly, what is this call to us as people? And I think there's three aspects <coughs> in answering this question. The first aspect is another question, and I'm going to call them A, B, C, because I've always already used one, two, three. So, um, so A, the first, the first question, are you willing to allow and seek more of God's rule and reign in your life today? Are you willing to allow and seek more of God's rule and reign in your life today. Because that's where Jesus' dominion and authority begins, isn't it? It's in us. The dominion of Christ celebrates the healing of this world and seeks to bless the world and all its inhabitants. Jesus has the authority to heal, to mend, and to restore. We've seen that today. He delivered the man from the impure spirit, and he healed um, Simon's mother-in-law. But he does not force his dominion on us. He's not like Putin, forcing his dominion on others. What an incredible king. What a, what a different king. It's an invitation then to us to willingly ask Jesus to extend his dominion in us, in our lives. So that we can live out of his authority more and more. And I think that's what it means to be his hands and feet. We need to give him dominion in our lives so that he can live in us and then we become his hands and feet. We can't be his hands and feet if we've still got dominion of our lives. So just as the boy gave Jesus his lunch and Jesus multiplied it so it ended up feeding thousands, so our expressions of mercy and grace can be used by God to build the human community by bringing spiritual and physical healing and, and a multitude of other aspects. 
to, to bring healing to the environment and all sorts of things. So are you willing to allow more of God's rule and reign in your life today? Maybe you could pray about that today. Inviting the Lord to more and more um, freedom to access his dominion in us. B, what are you, are you willing for God to confront areas of impurity in your life as his dominion extends? As Jesus' dominion began um, to establish in the story, uh, his, his dominion confronted evil. Immediately, there was that story of the, the man with an impure spirit. And while I'm not sure that any of us here have impure spirits possessing us, I think as we seek the, the dominion of Christ in our lives, we should expect that Jesus will confront areas of evil and sin in our lives. And this confrontation may not be orderly or comfortable, but it's ultimately for our good. Wasn't the man Jesus delivered from impure spirits much better off after his deliverance? In the same way, we will be much better off when we allow Jesus to confront our areas of impurity too. It's interesting uh, that the Greek word for impure is akathatos, which means not pure because of mixing. In other words, something pure and good and desirable has been adulterated because something else has got into it. It's something tainted has, has made the pure impure. The antonym or opposite is kathairo, which is translated as clean and means free from wrong mixture. Free from wrong mixture. So that means unadulterated, unmixed. In other words, God desires our whole hearts. That's what he's after. Something pure, something good, our hearts. There's something fundamentally precious to God about us. But when we become mixed with the impure, that's when there's a problem. So God desires our whole hearts to be free or pure from being tainted from the dominion of other kingdoms or other kings. That's a really important point. God desires our whole hearts to be free or pure from being tainted from the dominion of other kingdoms. So today, are you willing for God to confront areas of impurity in your life as his dominion extends? And finally, see... <clears throat> Let the authority and dominion of Jesus bring you hope. Let the authority and dominion of Jesus bring you hope. Maybe you've been battling with something uh, for so long that you've almost given up hope that it will ever be resolved. But our passage from Mark today clearly shows that Jesus' authority and dominion brought hope to many, many people. But can I encourage you that instead of focusing on resolving the issue you're facing, you instead seek his dominion or rule in your life. Instead of seeking to resolve the issue you're facing, you instead, uh, instead seek his dominion and rule in your life. In my experience, God's primary concern in allowing us to battle certain issues is actually his rule and authority and dominion in our lives. So work with him in this, in this aspect, not against him. And I think as we increasingly live out um, or live in the authority and dominion of Christ, we can be confident that he will release us from our trial when the time is right. 
He is a loving king who desires most of all our hearts, but also our healing and wholeness. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this passage from Mark this morning. It teaches us that you are unique in your authority. <coughs> Lord, we ask that your dominion, your rule, your sovereign reign would increase in our lives, in our hearts this morning. Lord, we offer you as much as we can the freedom in our hearts and our spirits and our bodies, our whole being, Lord. Increase your dominion, your rule and your reign. Lord, as may we increasingly uh, seek to live as the beloved children of God, which is what we are, by living under your authority, your dominion, your rule. Holy Spirit, would you make that possible? Give us the rightly ordered loves and desires of our hearts that we will rightly honour you and, and give you glory and honour that alone is yours. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.